As I begin this message this morning, I want to start out with another disclaimer. You know, I made a disclaimer last week. I have a disclaimer for this message this morning. I did not set out three weeks ago to bring a series of messages on the condition of the Lord's churches today, but it just seems that the Holy Spirit has led me that way. And so I hope you will bear with me in this message this morning. And I'll tell you, this is not so much a message on the church at Laodicea as it is a message on the condition of and the danger to many churches today that profess to be the Lord's churches. Because we have a problem in the Lord's churches today. And this is it. We believe, but we do it without zeal and we do it without enthusiasm. If you think about the average church service, and I don't want us to be average, okay? Have you ever attended, let me just ask it this way, have you ever attended a dead, dry church? Amen. A dead, dry church service? I'm good for about five minutes in those, and my mind starts to wander, or sleep overtakes me, and I don't know which it is, and I never want us to have a dead, dry church service. But we attend and we believe the Word of God, but the zeal and the enthusiasm for the things of God just does not seem to be there. And it's as if many times we just look at God and yawn right in his face. So, Lord, okay, I believe in you. But, you know, as far as being serious, too serious about serving you, I don't know about that. And in many ways what it says is, God, you just don't excite me. You just don't thrill me. Your work is a burden. Do you remember what it says we've been studying in 1 John on Wednesday nights? Do you remember what 1 John chapter 5 verse 3 says? 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, for this is the love of God. Now, that's very important to that verse. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. And that word grievous means they're a burden. They're not a burden. They're not a weight on us. They're not heavy to us. They're not burdensome, a load to bear. We love to serve God. We love to obey God. We want to do what God would have us to do. Now, this book of Revelation can be easily divided with three main points in an outline. First of all, they're the things that were. That's chapter 1. The things that were were the things that the Apostle John had seen and the things that John was relating to us of what he had seen. The second division is chapters 2 and 3, and that is the things that are. And in fact, somebody said that chapters 2 and 3 cover the entirety of the church age. I'll say more about that in just a moment. And then chapters 4 through 22 deal with things that are to come. And of course, that talks about the coming of the Lord Jesus, the time of great tribulation upon this earth, and all of the things that are going to take place at that time. Chapters 2 and 3, as I said, contain the Lord's letters to seven churches, seven actual churches that existed in Asia at that time. And again, some say that they picture the entirety of the church age. There's seven different churches with seven different characteristics. And some scholars or some commentators or whatever they are have gone through and they've put time periods with each of those seven churches and say the church at Ephesus represents this time period and church at Smyrna represents this and, and so on down the line. I actually look at the characteristics of the churches, and I believe those seven churches, in representing the church age, the characteristic of each church can be the main characteristic of any church that exists. We could be a church like Ephesus. What was the problem at Ephesus? They'd left their first love. We could be a church like Smyrna. What 
existed at Smyrna, and Smyrna received no correction from the Lord. You know what the Lord did? He praised that church. He said, you're going to go through some trials. You're going to go through some troubles, but you're rich. They were a poor church financially. They were a poor church as far as the world was concerned, but God said, Jesus said, they were rich, very wealthy. So each of these characteristics could apply and be the primary characteristic of a particular church or of an age. Now, if we're living in the last days, guess which church is characteristic of this day? And what probably the chief characteristic of most churches is today? What was the problem at Laodicea? They were lukewarm. We're going to read what the Lord said to this church, beginning in verse 14 of Revelation chapter 3. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now I want to go back to chapter 1 of Revelation for just a moment. And in chapter 1, verse 13, what you see is the Lord in the midst of the candlestick, seven candlesticks. Why don't just read verse 13? And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. So here you have a picture of Jesus standing in the midst of seven golden candlesticks. And then verse 16 says this, And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. So here we have the Lord in the midst of the candlesticks. We have him holding the stars in his right hand. Well, say, preacher, what does all of that mean? Well, verse 20 gives us the answer. And the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now that word angels is an interesting word. In the Greek it's angelos. It just means messenger. And most commentators will say, and I believe this, that this word angels or this word messenger refers to the pastors of these seven churches. That the messages to the seven churches were sent to the churches through the pastors. And so it's nice for you to know that you have an angel for a pastor, right? You can say amen to that. I don't mind. But here are the pastors of the angels of the churches and the Lord has them where? In his right hand. Listen, you better pray. You need to pray that the Lord will always hold your pastor in his right hand. Amen. You don't want your pastor getting out of the Lord's hands. You don't want your pastor getting out of the Lord's control. And so a church of the Lord Jesus Christ needs to pray this way. And again, it reveals who should be in control when the message is presented to the Lord's churches. 
The Lord himself should be in control. I pray every time I preach that God will take charge. That it won't just be my sermon. I don't like sermons. I like messages from the word of God. That it'll not just be my sermon. It will be a message from God's word straight to our hearts. And then he says the golden candlesticks are what? They're the seven churches. And so the Lord is in the midst of his churches. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20? Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Jesus Christ is here this morning, folks. God the Father is here this morning. God the Holy Spirit is here this morning. But we need Jesus in the very middle and in the very midst of this church. That picture's fellowship. I want to pastor a church that is in fellowship with God. We want to be a church that is in fellowship with God. Now what we're going to see when we get down to verse 20 is we're going to see Jesus on the outside of this church because he's knocking on the door asking entrance. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. I don't ever want to put Jesus outside of his church. And then he says two things about himself. He says, I am the amen. Now what does amen mean? Well, amen means so be it. Well, in reference, see, Jesus didn't just say amen. He said, I am the amen. Well, what does that mean? He is the amen. He is the one who is steady. He is the one who is unchangeable. He is the one who is unchangeable as to his purposes and as to his promises. We just got through with Sunday school this morning, teaching in the book of Joshua. And Joshua reminded Israel, just think of everything God's done for you. If he kept those promises, he'll keep promises in the future. And every promise that Jesus has made in reference to his churches is made to us as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says he is the true and faithful witness. What does that mean? He's the one who ought to be received and he's the one who ought to be believed. Don't you want to believe a faithful and true witness? We ought to. And he's the one, by the way, whose testimony of men to God will be believed in the day of judgment. See, we like to sometimes think more highly of ourselves than we ought. I think that's a human trait. Sometimes we like to give testimony of ourselves that may be a little more faithful or dependable or whatever than ought to be. But one of these days, Jesus is going to give the testimony of us that is absolutely faithful, that is absolutely true as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ for the saved. And if you're not saved, you'll stand before the great white throne judgment of God. We can count on what he says to his churches. And he says to this church at Laodicea, you got a problem. You've got a problem. In fact, look at what he says. He says, I know your works. I know that you're neither hot nor cold. I would or I work or I wish that you were hot or cold and not lukewarm. See, here was a church that was too cold to be hot and it was too hot to be cold. Now, have you ever done that? Have you ever? See, I did this just the other day and I wrote about it on Facebook. I was a little bit sleepy during the middle of the afternoon, so I got up and fixed myself a cup of coffee. And I set that coffee down on a table and I said, while that coffee cools just a little bit so I can still drink it good and hot, but I let it cool a little bit, I'm going to sit here in this recliner that the deacon gave me that puts me to sleep, okay? <laughs> and I sat down in that recliner and when I woke up, my coffee was cold. Had to reheat it. It wasn't just warm enough to drink. It was too cold to drink. So here's a church that had not cooled off completely but they were just sort of lukewarm in relationship to their Lord. And so we're going to talk about lukewarmness this morning if you haven't figured that out yet. I said I didn't start out 
three weeks ago to do this, but I've sort of been led that way, I believe. And first of all, what we see in verses 15 and 16 is what we call the curse of lukewarmness. The curse of lukewarmness. Look at what he says. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now this is not real eloquent, but that word spew literally means to vomit. You know what the Lord's saying to this church? You make me so sick I could vomit. You make me nauseated. A lukewarm church makes the Lord sick at his stomach. And I believe that it is probably the most prevalent, and that's why you have the name of the message that you do. It is probably the most prevalent sin among the Lord's churches today. It is the sin of lukewarmness. It is the sin of not getting excited about serving God. We're too cold to boil and we're too hot to freeze. What happens if you get water to 211 degrees? Absolutely nothing sits there. What happens when you get it to 212? It starts to boil. What happens you get water to 33 degrees? Nothing. You get it to 32 and it begins to freeze, okay? And there are a lot of churches that are just about 34, 35 degrees, but they've never reached 212, okay? And we need to be a church that is on fire for the Lord, what is lukewarmness? It's coming to church and it's not getting excited about being in the Lord's presence. It's not being excited about praising the Lord. It's not being excited about the preaching of the Word of God. It's just a lot of, it's sort of a ho-hum type of attitude when we come to, well, it's Sunday again. Got to go to church again today. Because well, if I don't, you know, they might talk about me or whatever, but it's coming to church and just getting thrilled about the Lord. I had a conversation with another pastor this week. He pastors a Baptist church here in this town. And I just asked him point blank. I said, what's it like at your church? How are things going? And he said this. He said, well, he said Sunday morning's about all they want. This is preachers being honest with each other, okay? And that's a rare commodity sometimes. You know, when a preacher says, tells another preacher, we had almost 200 in church last week, that means they had 101, okay? If he said we had a good Wednesday night crowd, they couldn't all sit on the back pew. That's preacher talk. But this is two preachers being absolutely honest with one another, and he says Sunday is good enough for them. Sunday morning, that's all. The, and by the way, I included when he said that, I said, oh, they just want to tip God an hour each week, huh? But he said, Sunday's good enough for them. He said, they will come to church, but they don't want to get involved in ministry. Amen. They don't want to get involved in serving the Lord. They don't want to get involved in doing something for the Lord. And it reminded me of a little boy I knew. I'm not going to call his name. It reminded me of a little boy I knew that wanted to be on a ball team, a baseball team. He wanted the uniform. He didn't care whether he got in the game or not. He was content to ride the bench as long as he had the uniform. And that's the way a lot of God's people are today. So the Lord's not speaking to the out and out sinner here. He's not speaking to the lost person here. He's speaking to people who we might call half-hearted Christians today. I'm going to heaven. That's all I want out of it. And so thank you, Lord, for getting me to heaven. Well, how do you know if you're lukewarm? Have you ever wondered that? Maybe we ought to ask the question of ourselves this morning, am I lukewarm? Well, how do you know? Well, number one is you're indifferent about personal holiness and sanctification. What do you mean? We don't care whether we live a 
life separated to God or not. You know, it's just sort of, I'm going to get by in the world. Listen to what Jesus said to some religious people in Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 6. He answered and said unto them, Well, hath Isaiah, or Isaiah, that's Isaiah, prophesied of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men, for laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men. But did you get what he said? He said, They honoreth me with their lips. We just sang some beautiful songs. And in those songs, we were honoring God with our lips. I hope we were honoring God with our hearts. Okay? It's one thing to sing a song and just sing the word. You can hit every note and have a beautiful rendition of a song and your heart be far from God. You know who I'd rather hear sing? The people whose hearts are right with God who may not hit every note. And what's really great is when you have people whose hearts are right with God and they do hit every note, right? But he said, your, your, your lips honor me, but your heart's far from me. And here's what it means. You won't out and out lie, but you run into somebody you hadn't seen in a while and you don't really like them and you say, oh, it's good to see you. Now that's giving the wrong impression to people and giving the wrong impression is a lie also, okay? It's not just telling something that's not true. I demonstrated that many years ago. We went out to California and I, we went out to Monterey where Pebble Beach Golf Course is. I love Pebble Beach. And I wanted to play it, but the green fee was sort of expensive. It's even more so now. So I played an inland course for a lot less, but we went by Pebble Beach and I bought a cap that said Pebble Beach on it. And I would always straighten it out after I said it, but I wanted people to hear this. I'd say, yeah, when we were in California, I played golf and bought this cap at Pebble Beach. Now, what does that sound like? Sound like you played at Pebble Beach, doesn't it? And then I'd say, no, really, I, I played somewhere else, but bought this cap when we went by. But that's what we're talking about, not out and out lying, but just giving people a wrong impression. You wouldn't commit adultery, but you don't mind sharing some X-rated stories or jokes and laughing at them and that sort of thing. That's personal holiness. That's personal sanctification. You have a lack of concern for serving others. Listen, do we weep? And do we pray at the absence or over the absence of our members who are not here today? Not the ones who are ill, not the ones who are in nursing homes, not the ones who are in the hospital, but I'm talking about the ones who have just said, I don't care to go to church today. Do we look at the lack of attendance? You know, I pray about that a lot. And here's one of the reasons I pray about that. I'm concerned about you. I've told a few folks this. Listen. People worry about the preacher getting discouraged. I worry about you getting discouraged. Amen. You know, that's my concern. I don't want you coming. Okay, so our numbers are down. What do we got to do? We got to invite people. We got to witness to people and let the Lord bring people in to get them back up. Amen. But I don't want you getting discouraged just because the numbers are down. Because if you get discouraged, guess what? I'm going to get that way too. Anyway, we're not concerned. And do we... Do we weep over the unsaved people in this community? Are we that concerned for their souls? Or do we just pass by somebody and say, well, you know, I just see them. I don't know anything about their soul. I don't think about their souls. And that's number two. Number three. Brother Rick will like this one. Our singing is not spirit-filled. When it comes time to sing these wonderful hymns, to sing these songs of faith, 
It's our singing spirit-filled. Listen to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled, that means controlled, with the Holy Spirit or with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. We ought to sing with gladness. We ought to sing with urgency. We ought to sing with feeling. We ought to sing so loudly that these microphones and whatever others we have turned around somewhere will not just pick up the choir, but they'll pick up the congregation. That people watching by way of live stream will hear the singing of God's people in singing these praises to him. Number four, if, how to tell that you're lukewarm. We lack a real hunger for the word of God. We lack a real hunger for the Word of God. I was asked this question this morning. I'm going to tell you my answer. and You can disagree with me. You can have a, I won't say you can have a time of rebuttal in this message, but you can come to me and tell me you disagree. But I was asked this morning about, does it seem that people who were raised in church have more or less devotion than people who were never raised under the Word of God but who came to know Christ as Savior? later on in life. And I said, it's been my experience, the people I've pastored, the people I've talked to, when they got older and they'd never heard the truth and they came to know Christ as Savior, they're just so thrilled by it that they were dedicated to the Lord from then on. And those of us, and I was one of those who was raised in church, there's a period of time that we go through and it's just sort of like, okay, this is what, I, do you know why you're a member of this church, a Baptist church? Amen. Well, I like the people. I, no, 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 no. I want to know why. And I told the class, most young people go to a particular church because that's where their parents take them. Instead of a commitment that this is the preaching and the teaching of the truth of God's Word. There are people who believe the Bible in general, but they don't believe it in specificity. What is specificity? I mean specifically. Oh, there's some wonderful verses in the Word of God, but they don't apply to me, right? <laughs> Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Well, that's good for you, preacher. But that's not too good for me because I've got to live and work and be out in the world. No, believe it specifically. Do you know that most believers have never read the Bible completely through? Amen. Let me tell you this. You can read through the Bible in 10 months if you will read four chapters a day. Just four. Four chapters a day, 10 months, you can read completely through the Word of God. And so many, if you don't spend time in the Word of God and you don't love the Word of God, you're probably lukewarm. Amen. Number five, prayer time is not a priority. When was the last time you missed a meal to pray? When was the last time you missed sleep to pray? I've taken recently, and I've done it in the past, and, and you know, every once in a while you get out of habits. But when I go to bed at night and I'm lying there in bed, one of the best things to put me to sleep is I just start praying. You say, should you go to sleep praying? That's fine. Just keep praying when you wake up, right? But it, it, there's, a, there's a peace and a comfort that God gives you when you're doing that and you're praying to Him lying there in bed. When was the last time we fasted and prayed for a day? I'm going to do without food for a day, or I'm going to do without... Fasting is not just doing without food. It's doing without other things. I'm going to turn off the television for a day, and I'm going to spend a day praying. Okay? When's the last time we did something like that? Prayer, for most people, is not a priority. Listen, Satan does not mind us having this building. 
Satan doesn't mind our instruments, our sound system, our live stream, any of our technology. He doesn't mind it at all. Here's what he wants to stop. He wants us to stop applying the power of Almighty God to our lives and to the life of this church that only comes through prayer. That's what Satan is against, and that's what he would love to stop. Oftentimes the good becomes a substitute for the best. We need to learn to pray. James chapter 5, verse 16, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Not just some little, Lord bless me right quick prayer, but the effectual. You know what effectual fervent means? It means a working prayer. It's energetic. How many times do we pray energetic prayers? We're reluctant to show our faith and dependence upon the Lord. What are you talking about? Most believers are embarrassed to carry their Bibles with them, whether to work or whatever they're doing. Well, I've got, I've got an app on my phone. Nobody can see that. So many who are saved are ashamed, so ashamed of the Lord that they will not bow their heads in public and give thanks for their meal out in public. Someone was relating to me the other day that they had bowed their head prior to their meal and somebody walked over to their table and just paid them a compliment. This is so refreshing to see. This is so nice to see that people will actually do that. Do you realize that's a testimony right there? If out in public in a restaurant we would bow our heads and pray for our meal? We pray without fasting, we give without sacrifice, we witness without tears. That's when we are lukewarm. It's no wonder we sow without reaping. I don't know what number we're to. Number six, is that's number seven. I think it's number seven. We have a lack of passion for soul winning. Do you have a passion for lost people? Do you have a desire to see people come to know Jesus Christ as Savior? Lukewarm believers don't have a desire to see people saved. We can go by the masses when we're lukewarm and just see a bunch of people. I've been there. I've done that. One time I was in a shopping mall the day after Thanksgiving. Biggest shopping mall at that time in America. The day after Thanksgiving. And I was fussing about all these people around me. If they'd get out of my way, I could get where I wanted to go. And then I thought, how many of those people that I'm trying to push by, that I'm bumping into, how many of them are going to go to hell when they die because they don't know Jesus as Savior? I tell you what, that'll change your outlook. That'll change how you think about crowds of people. So what are we doing about it? It is not only our responsibility, but it is our glorious privilege to witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, then there's the harm of lukewarmness. Do you realize that lukewarm believers are the alibi for the lost? You've heard the phrase. I've mentioned the phrase from this pulpit. I don't go to church because there's too many hypocrites in the church. Well, there's too many hypocrites at the football game. There's too many hypocrites at the rock concert. There's too many hypocrites wherever you go. There's too many hypocrites in Walmart. And we go there, don't we? But what they look at, and the world does this. We may not like it, but the world does this. If you profess to be a child of God, the world expects you to be perfect. 
And when you're not, they say there's too many hypocrites in the church and for that reason I don't go to church. One man refused to go to church because of some things he knew about the life of the pastor. I cringe every time I hear about a pastor getting in trouble, about a pastor being arrested or whatever may happen. And again, whether we like it or not, the world wants us to be perfect. And lukewarmness sets us up for other sins. Verse 16, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Lukewarmness is a sin. What does sin do between the believer and God? It breaks the fellowship between the believer and God. And we are out of fellowship with God because of the sin of lukewarmness. Guess what? You're a sitting duck for the devil. He will lead you into other sins. Well, then there's the cause of lukewarmness. You look at verse 17, and you know what the cause of lukewarmness is? It's ignorance. So, preacher, I'm not ignorant. Oh, we all are to a degree. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> I was hoping somebody would amen that. Oh, we all are. And this is ignorance to our own spiritual condition. Because you look at that 17th verse, and what does it say? They said, I am rich and increased with goods. But what did the Lord say to this church? He said, you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. They were ignorant as to their spiritual condition. They didn't know what their condition was, lukewarmness, and they didn't know what their need was. And so they were just totally ignorant. They were out there going through the motions, sort of like 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5 having the form of godliness but denying the power thereof. That's where they were. That's what they were doing. And here's a sad fact. The lukewarm believer is usually the last one to know that he's lukewarm. He thinks he's serving God. From his viewpoint, I'm just doing everything right. I'm showing up for church. Every time the doors are open, preacher, I'm just doing, I'm, I'm singing the songs when I'm bowing my head when you pray. I'm sitting here looking like I'm interested when you're preaching. The Pharisees were some of the most religious people upon this earth. And they didn't even have a saving relationship with God. Religion is the devil's biggest business. I've said that. And just showing up for church, by the way, is not enough. You know what we need when we come in here? We need a holy fire burning in us. We need that desire. I'm coming into the presence of God Almighty. I'm coming into the presence of the creator of the universe. It's not just Sunday again. It's the appointed time that we who know Jesus Christ as Savior especially come together and worship God. We need that holy fire. Listen, the city of Laodicea was famous for three things. It's wool or it's clothing, number one. It was sort of the Paris of its day, all right? And it was famous for its wealth and for its gold, and it was famous because it had a medical center there that treated blindness. And God's saying, in spite of all that, you got everything the world thinks you're supposed to have, but in spite of all that, you need me. You need my holy fire within you Amen. if you're going to be what you ought to be. Here's a great danger. The complacency and self-satisfaction of lukewarmness begins gradually. It's not all at once. I mentioned that in the Sunday school class. You know, somebody who's been faithfully serving God just doesn't get up one morning and say, huh, I'm going to quit serving God today. That's it. I'm, I'm done. No, it begins gradually. Somebody said that church members are like old cars. They begin to miss a lot before they quit altogether. 
Okay? And I guess that's true because I've seen church members begin to miss a lot and then they quit altogether. Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 4 has some wonderful things to say about the church at Ephesus. You read those verses, you'll find out that they were a doctrinally sound church. They hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. They had tried some who said they were apostles and were not and found them to be liars. I mean, the Lord just goes, he, he says, thou hast labored and that means to toil to the point of exhaustion and you've borne and you've had patience. You've endured for my name's sake. They had all of these good things going on, but they had one thing wrong. We talked about it last week, I think. What it was going wrong in the church at Ephesus. They'd lost their honeymoon love for Jesus. They had lost that first love. They got so busy with other things. And here's the danger to churches today. We can get so busy with other things that somehow Jesus slips into second place. Or somehow he slips into third place. Maybe they had such a distaste for the Nicolaitans. I'll hate us the Nicolaitans, which I also hate Jesus said. Maybe they had such distaste for the Nicolaitans that their focus went there. Boy, we're going to fight these Nicolaitans. We're going to be against them. We're going to get them out of the church. We're going to... And they just lost their focus on They shifted their focus. Maybe they got so busy trying those who were apostles and were not that that began to occupy their minds more than Jesus occupied their minds. Our focus needs to be on Jesus Christ, on serving Him. First love is enthusiastic love. First love is honeymoon love. First love is love that doesn't count the cost. And Jesus said, you've left it. You don't have it for me anymore. They hadn't quit loving the Lord altogether. They just didn't love Him as much as they once did. Okay? Their love had waned a little bit. Let me ask you this. Was there ever a time that you loved the Lord more than you love Him today? If we are not growing in love toward God and toward the Lord Jesus Christ daily, you know what we're doing? We're slipping. We're slipping back. We're growing cold. We do not cool down all at once. It happens gradually and it happens so gradually you may not even notice. Some of you may remember in recent months in prayer requests, I've made this observation in this coming. You'll pray for the church because I see the enthusiasm of some slipping. The things that we once did, we're just not doing anymore. We're slipping back. We're slipping back. That's called lukewarmness or growing cold. What is the cure for lukewarmness? Look at verse 18. I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. These thought they could see. We're rich and increased with goods. But you know what? The natural man cannot see and cannot receive the things of the Holy Spirit. Listen to 1 Corinthians 2.14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. You want to find out where you are spiritually, get right with God, get right and ask the Holy Spirit, God through the Holy Spirit to show you where you are spiritually. Every person is three people. You realize that? We are the people that we think we are, okay? I'm rich and increased with goods. We are the people that other people think we are because we put on a good show, right? 
then we are the people that God knows us to be. And that's the one that matters. It doesn't matter what I think of myself. It doesn't matter what you think of me to some degree. But what matters is that God knows who I am and God knows what I am. And God says to this church, I know you. And I know what you're like and here's what you need. You need gold of God's glory. You need gold that's been through the fire. You need that gold that's been tested. They thought they were rich. Jesus said you're not. You're poor. You're wretched. You're miserable. Let me ask you this. Are you rich today? Be careful before you answer. I don't want to get anybody in trouble here. Are you rich today? Here's how to tell. Add up everything that you have that money can't buy and that death can't take away. That's how rich you are. We're all going to leave this life and we're going to leave everything that we have behind. There's only one thing you can take to heaven with you. That's your friends and your family because you bring them to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Okay? And we can send rewards on ahead, right? And we need to be doing that. But then they also needed the garments of God's righteousness. They thought they were clothed. And Jesus said, you're naked. Can you imagine that? How many of you are familiar with Hans Christian Andersen's story about the emperor's new clothes, I think was the name of it. Some scoundrels told the emperor that they had made him new clothes and they'd made him nothing. And so he took off his clothes and he put on nothing and he walks about the streets of his city and nobody dares to say anything because he's the emperor until one little boy said, you're not wearing any clothes. Okay. Can you imagine going about thinking you're clothed when you're naked? And the Lord said to this church at Laodicea, and he says, believers today, you need to put on some clothes. And the clothes you need to put on are the clothing of my righteousness. White raiment talks about purity. White raiment talks about righteousness. It talks about being right with God. And these are the things that we need if we're going to avoid lukewarmness in our own lives. God's riches, God's righteousness, God's rebuke. Why do we need God's rebuke? Because you look at verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. I've said before from this pulpit, my daddy never went down the block and spanked the neighbor's kids. But he did a number on us. Okay. We got it when we deserved it. And sometimes we didn't get it when we deserved it. But he never, never spanked the neighbors. God does not spank those who are not his. And Hebrews chapter 12 says, If you're without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you're illegitimate children. You're not sons of God. This is what we've been learning in the fifth chapter or throughout the book of 1 John. If you can live a life of sin continuously, daily, and not give any thought to God, never be chastened by God, never be convicted by the Holy Spirit, you better check your salvation. Because that is not the life of a child of God. Good works won't get you to heaven, but good works will show you that you're bound for heaven. By grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We're not saved by works, but we're saved in order to work. And the goodness of God, if we're out of fellowship with him, if we're lukewarm, if we're backslidden, that's another name for lukewarm, if we're backslidden, the goodness of God leads us to repentance and to get right with him. Well, why did the Lord speak so strongly to this church? Again, he said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. We ought to be thankful for the Lord's rebuke. And when we need it, we ought, you know, I never, I don't guess growing up I was ever thankful for chastisement. <laughs> but we ought to be thankful for the Lord's chastisement. Because it proves to us that we are His. I don't ever want to be outside of God's will because lukewarmness is a horrible, horrible sin. Why is lukewarmness such a horrible sin. Well, what did Jesus say was the first and great commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart and with all of thy soul and with all of thy mind. So in contrast to that, if that's the first and great commandment, one of the greatest sins would be not to love the Lord with all of your heart with all of your soul and with all your mind. It would be to become lukewarm. It would be to lose your first love or to leave your first love. And if we realize we're in that condition, here's what we need to ask ourselves. Am I willing to repent? Am I willing to seek God's forgiveness for my sin and get back right and in fellowship with Him? We're going to close with this, verse 20. I said, Jesus is on the outside of this church. He says, I stand at the door and knock. Continue reading what he says. He said, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Now I know there are preachers who try to make that a lost person. You've got to maintain consistency when you're studying and reading the Bible. And if he's speaking to a church in these verses, he's not speaking to lost. Somebody said, well, he's speaking to lost people in the church. Well, I'm sure there are lost people in the Lord's churches, but he's still not speaking to them. Here's a church. Think about this. Here's a church where the Lord Jesus Christ has been put on the outside of his church. It was a worldly church. It was a self-sufficient church. Not Christ-sufficient, self-sufficient. And Jesus is on the outside. I'll come in. But where's the handle to the door? It's on the inside. We have to open from the inside and we have to let him come in and we have to let him sup with us and we have to let him fellowship with us. It's our decision. And as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want him on the inside, folks. Don't ever want him on the outside. If you ever love Jesus more than you do today, if you like Ephesus, if you've left your first love, if Jesus ever excited us more then he excites us today, folks. We're growing lukewarm. We're slipping back. But here's what he says. He says, today, if you will hear my voice and you will open up, I will come in and I will have fellowship with you. And I can guarantee you through personal experience that it is a sweet fellowship. Amen. It's a horrible thing to be lukewarm. It's a horrible thing to be outside of the will of God and out of fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But if, especially if you're a child of God and you be made right with him, 
and have that fellowship restored, that sweet fellowship, and walk with him and serve him and love him more and more and more every day.